We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 15th. Got just two games left in the regular season. That's Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll. And Ryan, I got to tell you, it has really been wild how this season has just flown by. You know, I mean, we're sitting there. It feels like we're maybe getting to the halfway point. You're like, man, there's only two games left. It's senior day on Saturday. But Notre Dame has another opportunity to get better and another opportunity to build on its postseason resume and another opportunity to build some much-needed momentum and, and as they look to sort of erase the beginning of the season and really the first six games of the season when Boston College comes to town. This is a longtime rival, Ryan. They call it the Holy War, right? Obviously, Boston College is a, is a Jesuit school. Notre Dame is a is a Catholic school. There's some, some carryover there, I believe. I'm not quite a, uh, <laughs> a aficionado on – Catholicism versus, you know, what Jesuits are and all those type of things. But Notre Dame does hold the all-time series lead in this game. They have currently won eight in a row. Notre Dame has a 17-9 to lead. The interesting thing, Ryan, about this series is Notre Dame has won eight in a row. That followed a stretch where Boston College won six in a row and seven out of eight. So this has definitely been very much a back-and-forth uh, affair. There's only been once in this rivalry's history that a team did not win at least two games in a row. Notre Dame won the first four in, in 75, 83, 87, and 92. Boston College won in 93 and 94. Notre Dame won the next four. And then they switched games. BC won in 99. Notre Dame won in 2000. And then BC won the next six from 01 to 08. And then Notre Dame has won every game since 09 in this rivalry. So, very interesting matchup and two teams that could not be polar opposites. But I'll say this, Ryan, Boston College is a is a is one of the more interesting teams that Notre Dame is going to play this year. And it's certainly an opportunity for Notre Dame to kind of go out and prove themselves because their record is not good. There are parts of this team that are really bad. There are parts of this team that are really dangerous. So this is a another opportunity for Notre Dame to say, hey, we're not that team that plays to the level of our competition. It's an opportunity for them to say, hey, we can put a 60-minute game together. There's a lot on, on the line for Notre Dame in this game beyond just 
what the final score is and what their record is at the end, that's going to be another step towards is this team taking nothing but steps forward or is this team still, stay, still, still taking steps back? This We're going to learn a lot about that this weekend, in my opinion. And I think it really kind of takes you back for a second, Brian, and kind of gives you a little bit of clarity. I mean, you mentioned senior day, right? I mean, especially with the in the COVID era, right, where, I mean, Josh Lugg's been on campus six years, right, and he gets a senior day and he gets to celebrate and – you really kind of take back for a second because we watch these players obviously, and we've developed good relationships with a lot of them. And I know you, especially over the years, you know, just kind of from recruiting on until now, but it's really kind of one of those moments where you're like, this is, you know, a lot bigger than just a football game, right? Like this is what these players have worked long and hard for, for many years, you know, four five, six, even seven years in some cases. I mean, there's an eighth year senior on Northern Illinois football team. So it's one of those things, man, where, you kind of just got to take a step back and really kind of appreciate what this type of game means to some players of this, of this, you know, in this juncture of their career. And I mean, Brian, I would ask you because there's, there's a couple things, right? I think Notre Dame is going to be locked in because they still have an opportunity to finish off the season in a really solid note. They're playing against Boston college who has been a team that they have had a lot of history and tradition in the matchup with, you know, like you said, the kind of the back and forth, Big upset, obviously, going back to 93 with Boston College and all that type of stuff, right? So, like, they have a history of playing one another. They are a rivalry in, in, in a lot in a lot of ways. So, I think they'll be locked in. But just wondering from your experience, the senior day thing, right? I know there's been conversations like, is that a distraction to a degree? Does that bring big people come out a little bit slower than usual? I don't I just I, I I think that Notre Dame is going to come out ready to play, but it is kind of a, a it's kind of an interesting matchup when you throw the senior day conversation into the piece. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think it's a little overplayed. I mean, we've heard this before. It's kind of like when when uh, there was this time when reporters just obsessed over what Notre Dame's record was after playing Navy. 
And my response is always, yeah, but those teams sucked, right? Like those Notre Dame teams weren't any good. So yeah, of course they weren't yeah. beating the team the next week. Like, you know, how, how often when Notre Dame's been a good team, how often have they lost the week after playing Navy? I think like once, right? And that was in 2017. They beat, lost to Miami, beat Navy, lost to Stanford, but they just weren't playing good football at the time. All of a sudden, Notre Dame gets better and Navy's not as good. Notre Dame starts controlling that series. And guess what? Notre Dame wins the games the week after they play Navy. And, you know, and then you just kind of blow that out of the way. You know, they lose, beat Navy last year and then go on the road and smack Virginia, you know, and everybody's worried about, oh, it's the week after Navy. And I think the senior day thing is similar, you know, and it's just about, it's more about, you know, look, what's your preparation like going in? Right. If you spend the whole week focusing on senior day and this, that, and the other thing, then sure, it can be distracting. If you're like, hey, guys, here's the operation. This is what we're going to do. But outside of that, this is another game week, and we're getting ready to go out. And then you have that, and then you celebrate when the times are right. You know, I think then you go out and play well. I mean, what, what did Notre Dame do last year on senior day? They played a really bad team, Georgia Tech. They beat them 55 to nothing, right? You look at senior day in 2020. They played Syracuse, beat them 45-21. A little sloppy at times, but they dominated. Their last home game of 2019 was a senior day game against Boston College. A little sloppy at first. It gets a pretty decent BC team and went in mm-hmm. 40 to 7. You know, so we've we've kind of been here before. And Florida State 2018 was senior day. They dominated Florida State, if you remember that game, wearing the green jerseys. So it really hasn't been an issue in recent years when Notre Dame's been a good team. Imagine that. Right. Right. You know, and I think so. I think that that uh, it, it really comes down to with in- like anything, Ryan. You know, 2012 when Notre Dame was good, they beat Wake Forest 38 nothing mm-hmm. on senior day. So for me, it just comes down to what's your preparation like? What's your focus during a week of practice like? What is your, you know, what what are you guys really spending your time and your effort and your your mental space on this week? Is it constant discussion of your last game at home? You know, and right. You know, I mean, I, I get that, but, you know, what these kids want to remember from their last game at home is not that you kept telling them how much you love and appreciate them, but that you got them ready to go out there and win their last game at home. I think that's going to be the key about this game. I'll say this too, Ryan. Any thought about overlooking Boston College is eliminated, in my opinion, because of two reasons. Number one, Phil Dracovic and George Takis. Nick, when you you know how like the defensive players from Notre Dame remember how good Phil Dracovic was when they had to face him in practice. They remember how the plays he made against him two years ago. And they definitely remember George Takis for sure, who was a, a kid who was a very good football player for Notre Dame uh, as a blocker, was a kid we always heard about how the damage he would do in the past game in practice. Well, yeah, he didn't catch any passes in games, but that's not what the defensive players remember. They remember what he did to them in practice. And then the other one is the win over NC State. I mean, if you're the Notre Dame coaches, you're like, thank you, Lord, for letting Boston College go on the road and beat the number 16 team in the country the week before they come to our place. Because you're like, hey, fellas, we're not number 16. That team was ranked ahead of us. They went there and they beat them. You can't overlook this football team. And so I think those two things combined are are reasons why I think that if there is any senior day hangover, I think that's the thing that emotionally is going to have them locked in this week is, hey, we want to win on our senior day, and you 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 know you're playing a team that's dangerous. And, and you can point yeah. to the Louisville game. You can point to, you know, when this team's not very good, but when they're clicking, they're the team that people thought they were going to be in the preseason. Well, and to your point about the NC State game too, Brian, like if I was the coaches, I would be like, hey, guys, 
they beat that NC State team that was ranked number 16 last week, and they didn't even play a complete football game. Like Boston College turned the ball over a couple times. They couldn't run the football. They somehow played a marginal football game, not a great football game, and still beat the number 16 team in the country. So this is one of those games where, look, Notre Dame is more talented. We're, we're not breaking news here, right? They're a lot more talented. They are better in a lot of phases than Boston College. But Boston College is one of those teams, to your point, that if you are not ready and you do not play your game against, they can sneak up on you. SNC States, you just saw this last week, right? Like you just saw this story. Don't take this team for granted. You have to put your foot on the pedal. Leave, you know, just get every distraction out of your minds. Notre Dame needs to come and they need to play good football because, again, you need to continue not only your streak here at the end of the season, your momentum here at the end of the season, but you also need to beat a team that wants to come in your house and beat you because we've talked about the, you know, the tradition, the games that they've played in the past. We talked about all that stuff. Boston College is going to come in ready to play, and they've shown that when they are dialed in mentally, they can beat a couple good football teams. That's kind of the interesting thing about this matchup, Ryan, is is you, you've got to think that the Notre Dame kids are smart, right? I mean, we, we talk about this, right? We, we think they're smart kids. They've got to be aware of the fact that, you know, this team is talented. I mean, one of the things that that, that we do every week is we do a, a thing we call the recruiting comparison. And when you look at the recruiting comparison between Notre Dame and Boston College, the the comparison of the Notre Dame offense is it's actually kind of funny because if you look at just recruiting rankings, the Notre Dame offense should be the strength of this football team. If you look at it from a recruiting standpoint, I'm actually going to pull this up because we, we do this article every week on, on Irish breakdown and, and it's, it's, it's an interesting one, but I'm going to, let's pull this up here, Ryan, to give people a, 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 a glance at this. So this is sort of the recruiting comparison using the two, four, seven sports composite rankings. Well, if you look at the Notre Dame, I mean, a five-star, a three-star, and the three-star happens to be arguably the best left tackle in college football. I would say probably not the best, but some people have said that. I think he's top three or four for sure. Peter Skaronsky is pretty flipping good. Yes, But uh, if you look at the rest of it, it's like, man, that's that your offense. And then you look at the dudes coming off the bench, like, man, your offense should be pretty good, you know? And then you look at Boston College with two four-star guys on defense. One is a, a high school kid in Bryce Steele. The other is a, a transfer in, from Florida State and Jaden Woodbay. But then you look at this next part of this matchup, Ryan, and it's this one down here. It's the Notre Dame defense against the Boston College offense. Mm-hmm. Boss, BC has five former four-star recruits in their starting lineup on defense, and Notre Dame has only six on their – excuse me, BC has five top, uh, four-star – former four-star recruits on their starting offense. Notre Dame only has six on their starting defense. And, of course, notice something about BC that you don't see at Notre Dame. BC has two former top 100 recruits. So, you know, you, you look at these kids are going to be aware of these things. Now, I would also say that this right here, this this ranking right here, see that ranking for Zay Flowers? is, And see that ranking of Brandon Joseph? That's exhibit like 975. See that ranking right there for Benjamin Morris and Cam Hart? It's exhibits 975, 976, and 977 why you should not put too much stock in recruiting rankings. But for for kids, young kids, they're going to look at that kind of stuff. And they're, they're going to say, hey, like, you know, look, man, these guys have some dudes that I played against at the Under Armour game or I played against in high school, and these are good players. And those those things all factor into the fact that, you know, this is a game that I think Notre Dame is going to be up for. And they need to be because, look, you've got a huge test coming up in a week and a half. And if you think think if you think that that 
senior day presents some distractions. Next week is even worse because the thing that stinks about Notre Dame's schedule and something I wish they would change is I don't want every game at the end of the year to be at the end of the year in California. That's why I would like for them to stop playing Stanford or at least stop playing Stanford at the end of the year. The recruiting calendar has changed as such that Notre Dame doesn't need that West Coast trip anymore. They don't recruit the West Coast enough to make it that important. And no matter where they play, the coaches can hop on a plane and fly wherever they need to fly to. I would like to see them every other year be at home because the reality is not only do you have a cross-country trip to, to California, but now you got Thanksgiving and the festivities yeah. that you're going to have there. So it's just a lot of distractions, and you need to make sure that you're going into next week with as much – momentum i'm a big believer in momentum because momentum comes from what momentum comes from confidence confidence of execution confidence in in the things that you're doing confidence that what you're doing is worth it and paying off that's where momentum comes from it's not some like organic thing that just manifests and there's nothing you can do about it it comes from preparation confidence execution all those type of things and i think that is where moment what turns into momentum and you need that going into the next week because you're going to face, I would say, probably the third best team you're going to face all year in, in in USC and a team that arguably is, you know, could be contention for the second most talented team that you're going to play this year from a skill standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I actually, I don't even think it's arguable. I think they're clearly the number two team you're going to play this year from a skill standpoint. I think Clemson, you could argue – overall team talent when you include lines and linebackers and stuff like that. But I mean, just player for player, this is the second most athletic team that you're going to play this year. In my opinion, you've got to get locked in and ready for that. And you can't have this, you can't have this doubt that is, you know, what coach Freeman mentioned after the game on Saturday, the players didn't, weren't really happy about the win. Well, I'm actually kind of happy about that to be completely honest 100%. with you. I want them being pissed off about how they played in that game. But I also want them being really confident going into the week of the USC game. I want them coming in with the same piss and vinegar that they had going into the week of preparation for the Clemson game. And the better you play the week before it, the better it's going to be. And that's, you know, and I think Notre Dame went into that Clemson week real confident because of the way they went on the road and smacked around Syracuse. And yep. so I, I think this is a game where you're going to need some of that. That's what's at stake for Notre Dame in this game, Ryan. Yeah. And I love the great note there, too, Brian. It's because. Look, we heard it a lot after, you know, Notre Dame wins 35-32 over Navy and collapses in the second half, right, that a win is a win. Well, that tells me right there that Notre Dame team isn't thinking it that way, right? Like, they're disappointed in their process. It's not the result. The result is not everything. We talk about it all the time, right, being process-driven versus results-driven. Clearly, this team was not happy with their process to get to the final score. So now it's attention to detail. Let's get back to the drawing board. Let's hit that 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 you know that that uh that breaking point of hey, this is what we what we're going to be, or we're going to fall back into the trap right against a team that has been lackluster throughout a large portion of the season. Again, dangerous team when they're playing well, but when they're not, they're a pretty bad football team. So Notre Dame needs to clear their minds, get back on track, and. It, get back to the process that has made them successful against teams like Clemson that we've seen in recent weeks against Syracuse on the road. Those are the, that's the process that is going to make Notre Dame successful and they need to get back to this. And I agree with you completely, Brian, like that USC game is going to be a big game for Notre Dame in two weeks. It's going to be massive because that is a team that Notre Dame fans don't like 
That's a team that you've had some history with, not as much in recent years. And that's a team that you're going to need to dominate, right? Because they're a brand, they're a big brand, obviously, of college football. They're a team that's looking looked out upon as being an ascending team with Lincoln Riley and all those cats mm-hmm. that transferred over. That's a big game from a national perspective, right? Where are these programs at? Where are they going? So I agree with you completely. Notre Dame needs to have a good game and a good process and a good result this week because mm-hmm. that confidence is going to breed into that final week of the season, and that's when you need to be playing your best football right at the end of the season. So massive performance potentially for Notre Dame this week because it really, I think, yeah. springboards you into that final game and into whatever the bowl season kind of brings for Notre Dame. Right. Can we quickly put this to rest <clears throat> real quick? Let, let let the people see this this rumor going around. Okay, see, Ryan does have ears. So knock that off, Alan. You said my ears. Yeah. When I was a cool kid back in the day, you said my ears pierced as well. So yeah, I, I did that for ears. one year. My freshman year of college, I, uh, I did that, and I was like, this is dumb. So I, I stopped wearing them. This is, this is stupid. My, um, I remember so, when, I, when I when I met my wife, she was like, "Yeah, I don't like the earrings thing. You need to stop wearing those." I'm like, "All right, yeah, sounds good." I was a quarterback. I was a pretty boy. I had to, you know, and I was like, "These are stupid." No, I'm going back to <laughs> jeans and a hoodie. <laughs> Forget this. All right, let's get back into this BC matchup because this is one of the more. Uh, somebody just asked, "Did y'all have frosted tips?" Also, I never did that. Never did that. So I never well I never had frosted we'll, tips. Never. We'll we'll dive into that, Jonathan. We'll dive into that in the mailbag. Let's get back on track with this game. But this is a, such an interesting Boston College team because let's just come out with it, Ryan. Like there's this is you know, we 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 call this it's a show it's a show my dad used to watch. I, I was never a big fan, I'm not a big Bill O'Reilly fan. I think he's kind of a whatever. We'll need to get into that. But anyway, a show called the no spin zone right and this is the no spin show right we don't we don't give y'all spin so let's just be real about this this is not a very good boston college team it's not this is not a team that notre dame should lose to it's not a game that should be competitive it's not a game where we're going to come out of this game and notre dame wins by a field goal and be like you know what that was a good hard fought win because this is actually a better team than their record no they're they're not good do they have some talent in places yeah does that make them dangerous if you're not locked in Absolutely, and we'll dive into some of those mm-hmm. position groups as well. But this is the kind of game where you look at it and you say, if we are who we say we are, this is a game we should dominate. We should neutralize where they're really good because we should dominate where they're not. And it's just it's going to tell us if this team can be locked in, if this team can put together a week a good week of preparation. That includes coaches and players. This when we say team, this isn't just about players, it's everybody. And can this team be locked in to go on a Saturday afternoon when it's not live and, and big time event and night game and all the, the craziness that comes with, with like the Clemson game, go out at home and do that. Cause we're still trying to learn if this is a team that plays to their competition or, you know, is it a home and away thing Is the Clemson sort of, are those still anomalies? Those are all parts of what you want to do, Ryan. And so those are things that this team has got a chance to prove against a team that can hurt you if you don't stay locked in. And so that's the thing is, if Notre Dame doesn't play their game, if they're not focused, if they are sloppy, if they make mental mistakes, assignment mistakes, BC will hurt them, especially Mm -hmm. with their offense, because Zay Flowers will rip you up if you're not locked in. All right, Jalen Gill can hurt you if you're not locked in. 
if Phil Dracovic plays, he's the kind of kid if you're not if you're not tackling well, he'll spin out, roll around, run around, and throw a ball fifty yards over your head. We've seen him do that against Notre Dame. Yeah. But it's all he's also a quarterback that you know he does hold on to the ball longer. And if you're dominating the areas that you're going to dominate, Emmett Moorhead, I noticed last week, tends to hold on to the ball a little bit too long as well. That's a BC quarterback problem, not just a Phil Jakovic problem. Dennis was a gruel had that problem last year. Mm-hmm. That if you're dominating where you should, you should you should be able to dominate them. And and so it's again, if Notre Dame is locked in, this is, should not be a very competitive game. But if they're not. BC has some of those areas that can give you some problems. It really does. But overall, Ryan, the reality is they're just not good. You look to a degree. You're, I don't believe that you are your what your record are, what your record says you are. I'm, I'm not. I don't necessarily believe that to the T. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's true. I mean, you are who you, what your record says you are, and this is a three and seven football team that lost at home to Rutgers that got blown out by Florida State, that got blown out by Clemson, that got blown out by Wake Forest, that lost at home to Duke, and lost by 10 points on the road to UConn. Their wins this year are over Maine, a one-point win over Louisville at home, and then a one-point win at NC State. So they have shown they can beat a good team if that good team doesn't play well. Right. And I'll be honest, I still have no clue how. I watched that NC State game, and I'm like, I have no clue how BC won that game. Like NC State dominated so much of the game, but NC State was sloppy at times. You know, turnover on downs inside the five, not taking points because for whatever reason Dave Dorn did that. All those type of things, man. It's 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 a team that can bite you in the butt if you don't lock in. But it's also a team that's just simply put, just not real good, Ryan. In a, in a game you should dominate. Well, they are very bad or inconsistent in the parts of the game that are very important to winning football games. I mean, Phil Dracovic has been banged up. The quarterback position has not been great consistently throughout the season because of injuries and second quarterback having to play, even though, you know, Emmett Moorhead's had a couple of nice spots, you know, the last couple of weeks. Like he's shown some potential, but I mean, it's just been inconsistent at the quarterback position. And I think that's mostly due to the fact that you already said those are bigger, longer quarterbacks that are much more of like, hey, let's let things, let's let things progress and work down the football field vertically oriented players right so when you don't have a good offensive line is that way as well yep yep and when you don't have a good offensive line that's trouble for that's the that's a recipe for failure it really is and this offensive line i mean brian we were talking about it earlier today and this may be the worst offensive line in power five football it's very possible it's it's ugly. We were talking about that before the show, Ryan. I really can't. I'd be curious if anybody in the chat can think of a team that you've watched this year that has a worse offensive line. And and honestly, it's I, I'm confident in saying it's worse than Power Five. I think it's in the it's in the conversation for worst overall offensive line in all of college football. I mean, UNLV's got a better line than they do. Cal's got a better line than they do. And those are off the top of my head the two worst offensive lines I remember Notre Dame playing this year. Yeah, like it, it, they're they're awful, and it's yes. it's not even a talent thing. Let Let's kind of just kind of back up these issues, Ryan, by by just mm-hmm. looking at the numbers. And I think this sure. tells a lot of the story right here. Their offense is just awful. And when you talk about a team that's got Phil Dracovic, George Takis, Jalen Gill, uh, Jaden Williams, and oh, by the way, Zay Flowers, who's an absolute stud. And then you look at these numbers, you're like, something's not right. And you're yeah. trying to figure out what exactly it is that's not right. And it what it boils down to is it's the line. 
This is a team that ranks 11th in the ACC in points per game, 13th in points uh, yards per game, uh, tied for 13th in yards per play, which means they're tied for last. Last in rushing yards, last in yards per rush. little context on that rushing numbers, Ryan. That's not only last in the ACC. That's last in all of college football. They are literally the worst rushing team in college football by a bunch. The, the team ahead of them, Mississippi State, averages mm-hmm. 16 more yards per game. Here's the kicker, though. You uh, Mississippi State has rushed for, I'm trying to do the math here in my head, 159 more yards than Boston College. They have 71 fewer carries than Boston College. It's gross. The next, the next team ahead of them is Akron. Akron has over has 21 more yards per game than Boston. So the 129th yard team in the country has 21 more rushing yards per game than Boston College and only on 20 more total carries. So it is it is really bad. You look at yards per attempt, they're also dead last at 2.1. The next team there is at 2.65. So, I mean, it, it's there's no metric that this is good. Even if you take away sacks, it's still not good. I mean, it, it, it's just – they're just a really bad – and it all comes from their offensive. I mean, Ryan, Patrick Garwa was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. Well, you know, this, Brian, is a, this is not a kid that sucks, you know. He, that, he rushed for 1,045 yards and 5.1 yards per carry last year. Well, that's what I was going to say is if we want to put more further context into it, it's the fact that we you literally have a running back on this team that just put together a really good season last year. I mean, we came into the year saying consistently, right? Like Pat Garwo is a good football player, man, like thousand yard rusher over five yards a pop. He's a good, good college running back. And even with him returning to this team, they can't run the football. It's maddening, man. It doesn't make any sense. Even with the wide receivers that they have, because, I mean, you can look at it like this, right? It's like, wow, Zay Flowers, Jalen Gill, all these dudes, right? Well, we can't put as much in the box as we would like, right? Because we can't, because you have those that speed outside. But even with lighter boxes, they still can't run the football. It's it's wild how bad this offensive line is for Boston yeah. College. I've never seen anything like it. Ryan, I mean, you, you you look at the total numbers, 321 yards per game. That's really bad. I mean, you know, the, 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 there's just – there's no metric that you can look at as the saving grace for this football team. I mean, it, it's it's problematic, and, and it all comes down to the offensive line because the conversation you and I were having before the show was – and I'll just kind of give everybody like a peek into the curtain as like how we look at it, and I love y'all's feedback too is – you say, you know, BC at worst is in the top five of the ACC in skill talent. If you look at quarterback receivers and tight ends, and I would argue they're closer to being in the conversation for the top three. If -hmm. just talk about talent, you know, obviously I think North Carolina is at the top. I mean, with Drake may Josh downs love Zay flowers, but Josh downs can match him as a player. I would argue, you know, Production wise, but then the the next couple kids at, at North Carolina, I think, are better than Jalen Gill and Jaden Williams. The tight ends, George Takis, is to me better than the kids that North Carolina has. But North Carolina has three kids at tight end that are really good, and of course, Drake May is right now playing as well as any quarterback in college football. Yep. After that, okay, Wake Forest has got some good talent there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've got a really good off receiving core. Uh, Florida State's in the conversation 
I would take BC's skill players over Clemson's. Again, we're not talking running back. We're talking quarterback, receiver, tight end. We're talking pass game skill mostly. I would take BC's kids over over Clemson's. I would take them over Pitt's. I mean, we were kind of going through the conference, Ryan, especially with the the. I mean, I love you know, Malik Cunningham, but I'd take him over them. I'd take him over Duke. I'd take him over Louisville. I'd take him over Syracuse. I'd take him over NC State. I'd take him over Miami. I'd take him over Virginia Tech. I'd take him over Georgia Tech. And the only other team that might be in the conversation that stinks this year is Virginia, if you just look at the skill players. But I've never been as high on Brendan Armstrong as other people. So I'd take mm-hmm. Phil Dracovic and Emma Moorhead over the two quarterbacks at Virginia. And that's where it comes down to. I mean, so you're talking about one of the three best skill groups in the conference, and that's their numbers because their offensive line is just abysmal. I mean, it, uh, the number of just like you watch Phil Dracovic the first five, six games, right? And he's just getting killed. I mean, like you saw, and it was the opener. It was the Rutgers from the Rutgers game on. It's just like he's hitting the top of his drops, and there's two guys hitting him. It's just like, mm-hmm. goodness gracious. And we saw that yes. happen to Emmett Moorhead last week. And, you know, they've both been able to put together a game here, a game there. You know, Emmett Moorhead's mm-hmm. coming off of back-to-back 300-yard performances. You know, Phil Dracovic's performance against Louisville this year was one of the best I've seen of any quarterback in, in, in college football. I mean, went 18 of 21 for 304 yards and three touchdowns. You know, and and but then you're looking at a kid that rushed for over 1,000 yards twice in his high school career was an all-state basketball player, has minus 43 rushing yards this year, yep. Phil Dracovic. I mean, it's it really is just the Achilles heel to this team. And and that's on Jeff Halfley, to be honest with you, because this has been a problem for them throughout his tenure because they were pretty decent on the O-line last year, but they were abysmal in 2020, and they're even worse in 2022. It's like – You've got to be able to see this. And even if Christian Mahogany's not hurt, it doesn't change much. It really doesn't. He's better, but they're still overall not very good. And it's one of the many disappointing aspects of Jeff Halfley's tenure at Boston College is what they've been able to – the inability of of one of the best producers of offensive lines in college football the last 20 – previous 20 years can't produce all good offensive lines. It's wild, man. I mean – Brian, the, the craziest part, too, is, I mean, because you could think of historically, right? Like, you can think of Anthony Costanzo and the Lindstrom brothers, and they've done a really good job offensive line-wise. Gostor Sherilis back in the day, like, they've had some dudes that have come out of Boston College. But even just last year, I mean, Boston yeah. College had one of the best offensive lines in college football last year with Zion Johnson and Ben Petrula and Alec Lindstrom, and it was a good, good offensive line for the college football terms. And the drop-off and the – the worst part is, is that because Mahogany is a really good football player. He was, you know, he would have, he was going to be a old ACC performer, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. He was a really good player. But outside of him, there's not a ton of talent either out there, Brian. It's not like it's all just super young and it still needs to process. Like there's a couple kids on the offensive line that may have Drew some Kendall is the only Drew exception Kendall. to that. And, and, and right. you and I talked about that beforehand, Ryan. And the thing about Drew Kendall, though, is he's a year ahead of schedule. Of when he should not, and not by because he's that good, it's because they have to play him. I mean, he came right. in as like a 260 pound kid, he's only listed now. What did you say, Ryan? It was like 283. 283. Yeah, he, he's yeah. a kid that in the past is a redshirt freshman that BC's looking at saying, Boy, I can't wait till this kid gets in the lineup next year. 
right. because he's really good. Get him one more year in the weight room. But they're not only thrusting him into the offensive line and starting offensive line, but he's their best offensive lineman. That's a yep. problem. That's a problem. And somebody okay. said in the chat that Colorado's line might be worse. It's not. I've watched Colorado play a couple times this year. They're not. Here's the difference between Colorado and BC. Colorado doesn't have talent anywhere on offense, really. BC does. And so, you know, BC averages more points, but that's due to that's due to talent. But if you look at if you look at the rushing numbers, Ryan, I mean it's BC is almost doubled up by Colorado. I mean, BC's averaging 61 rushing yards a game. Colorado's over 115. Again, that's almost doubling them up. They're at 3.5 yards per rush, which is not good. That's again over a yard, about a yard, yard almost a yard and a half better than them. And the same thing with 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 uh, with sacks too. I mean, Colorado gives up a lot of sacks. Uh, you know, I think Colorado right now. Uh, let's see here. Colorado ranks 62nd in the country. They've given up six twenty sacks to a game. 62nd, not good. Boston College, 126th. They've given up 39 sacks. It's almost double. So yeah, Colorado's offensive line stinks. I've watched them play. They're a lot better than Boston College. And that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment at all to Colorado. It's just how bad Boston College has been this year. It's just, it's, they're really bad. It's sad too, because you want to see, look, you want to see teams, you know, you want to see teams, Ryan, that, that, um, I don't know. I mean, call me crazy. I just, I want to see teams, I want to see good teams, I want to see good football. Right. That that's my thing. I want to see good football. I want to see a team, you know, like like Boston College be competitive. I want to be reminded of the the great games they've played in the past, because the reality is, Ryan, is because I, when they win, I want to I want to kind of enjoy it a little bit more. You know, it's kind of like it's almost like hard to enjoy beating them because of how bad they are. And of course, it's bad for the ACC as well. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. No, it's really bad. It's because really, it, they were they for a long time. Brian Boston College was just looked at as that team that are they an elite football team? No, but they're just a consistently good football team, right? Like the, you can't have a week off against them. Like you think back to like the Matt Ryan era, and, and you know even more recently, and it's they were always a good product on the field. And over the last few years, it just has not been the same. And I mean, you look at these defensive numbers, and I'm like Jeff Hathley, man. Like I thought he was a defensive guy, right? And he's got you know a lot of I mean, he is a good, really good, smart football guy, but for whatever reason, just has not worked out as a head coach. I mean, some guys are just good coordinators, not good head coaches. Maybe that's the the issue that's that's sitting here. But because I mean, we talked about it before the show, and I, I maintain this is that there are several players on BC's team right now that if I if you told me, hey, Notre Dame could have that guy, I'd be like, say flowers, come on over here, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Cam Arnold, if you want to come over, you can too. One of the corners, you can come over. Christian Mahogany, if you're healthy, you can come over to be a guard for sure, man. Like, come on over. But yep. I think you said it perfectly. It's across the board, though, 
there's just the drop off from your top five best players to your next five is just man, or even top 15 mm-hmm. players. Like it is just a massive drop off. So I don't know what's going to happen with Jeff Halfley and this, this coaching staff or what's next after, after them, whenever that happens, but something needs to get fixed, man, because there's just a lack of talent right now on this team. It's not like it's just all young and it's all an experience. There's always going to be some parts of your team that are like that. But I mean, I just watched this offensive line that both tackles, both guards, and I'm just like, these kids are super talented, man. Like, there's just not a ton of talent here right now, right. which is just troubling. It's a little bit troubling right now. Right. Like last year, Ryan, when, when we were watching Notre Dame struggle on the offensive line, you could point to, you know, the coaching isn't where it needs to be. And this guy's going to eventually be really good. Or, you know, there's, you know, if you can replace this guy and these other guys are, are better players, or you can kind of get into those conversations. That's not an issue with Boston College. They're just not, like you said, there's just not the talent level there. And that's the thing that I think is kind of disheartening if you're a Boston College fan is there's no like there's no like, hey, if if only this happens or you make a make a coaching hire. And if that happens, this team is really good. You can't really you can't really point to that because that's not really who they are. They're just bad. Yeah. And, and it, um, yeah, it, it makes it makes me really sad, too, Brian, because I didn't I don't think I ever told you this, but the defensive t- starting defensive tackle for Boston College, Cam Horsley, I actually coached in high school for he went to Cinnamons in high school here in New Jersey. So I, I wish for Cam's sake that, that the team would be a lot better than they are right now, because he's I mean, yeah. he's starting there as only I think he's a Richard sophomore this year or, or so. But it's just talent is not great, man. It's just not. I mean, yeah. it's. It's just it's very disappointing because especially offensive yeah. line wise, because you think of, you know, that the best producers of offensive line talent, your Notre Dames, your Iowa's. But like that next tier down, man, like Boston College has been consistently a good, yeah. a good valuator of offensive line talent and producer of offensive line talent for the next level. Like there's always seems to be an offensive lineman at BC that you kind of need to get your eyes on. And right now, that's just not the case. It just isn't right yeah. now. So let's talk a little bit about the Boston College defense, Ryan. And this is another an area that's a little bit more intriguing because yes, they struggle, but so is Notre Dame off the Notre Dame offense. And they're a decent, I would say a decent rush defense, Ryan. Would you say that that's accurate? That they're a decent rush defense? Yeah. Uh, I think that um, they are tough. I think that's the thing that you can you can point to about this football team. They're tough. Uh, mm-hmm. They are. Um, they've got some decent size up the middle, right? They've got some some solid players in the secondary. Josh DeBerry is a nickel, is a really good nickel. But overall, the thing that, that hurts them is similar to what hurt them the last couple of times they played Notre Dame is they're they're tough. They're they're a little bit more undisciplined this year than they've been in the past. But overall, I think they're coached well-ish, you know, um, with their defense coordinator and Jeff Halfley. The problem is they just their speed on defense is is really the thing that hurts them. That's that's the thing, you know. Yeah. So that's going to be the interesting part of 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 when you look at this matchup. That's going to be that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, individual by individual basis. There's a couple of players on defense that you look at and say, like, you know, I would love to work with that kid. That kid has a lot of talent. And I mentioned Cam Arnold, number five, the linebacker, who I think so. Talented football player, former safety. He's got some speed on the second level. Number six, their defensive end, who I'm not going to even try to pronounce his name because I'm going to butcher it very poorly. Josh DeBerry is a kid that you mentioned that's played 
little outside, little insider in his career, really good nickel. Elijah Jones is a pretty talented corner in his own right. He's a solid football player. But from a team speed perspective, I agree. It's not where you want it to be. And for a team that is built by a defensive mind like Jeff Halfley, I mean, I don't know if you felt, felt the same way, Brian, but like against – Against NC State, especially early on in the game, I was just losing my mind watching some of these run fits from these linebackers, man. Like yeah. it was – That was more about missed opportunities from – I mean, North Carolina State was moving the ball up and down the field on them early in the game. I mean, they they had what – I think their first five possessions got into BC territory and they came away with, what, 14, 17 points or something like that. Uh, it just it, – it was not – that game, if you watch that game, that, that win was not – the BC offense in the second half stepped up and made some plays. And Emmett Moorhead on that last drive made some plays. And of course, being able to throw to throw to Zay Flowers makes it a lot easier. But it was a it was a situation, Ryan, where it was like NC State just kept shooting themselves in the foot more so than BC outplaying them. But yeah, the, the run fits from linebacker. There was a because NC State's not a really good rushing team, Ryan. That's the thing. It's like they don't run the football very well. And they were early in the game, they were running. I mean, they were running all over it. And a lot of it, I mean, there was a play where Bryce Steele, I don't know what he was doing backside, and they just take an inside zone. It was the easiest inside zone cutback that that I've seen. And you're just like, you're looking at these gaping holes opening up, and it's because of just the run fits were so bad. So, you know, like you said, it, it's it's really, it, it was really strange. You know, like I said, here's what NC State did the three games before. They ran for eight, 95 against Syracuse, 60 against Virginia Tech, 115 against Wake Forest. They hadn't had a game of over three, uh, over four yards of carry since September 24th when they played UConn, and the previous high before that was 5.2 against Charleston Southern. They went for four six against Boston College and 200 yards. This is not a very good rushing team for NC State. This is a team that's been held to uh, minus 120 yards five times this year, and that doesn't include a 133 yard performance against East Carolina. And they ran all over BC, and it was it was bad fits. It was the defensive line is used as uh, pluggers, which they need to be. They're not playmakers; they're pluggers, which puts a lot of pressure on your your safeties and your linebackers to fit properly. And they weren't doing that, and and it it proved costly for them in that game. There's and, no doubt. And it was and it was just like I mean, run fits inside, like with Vinny De Palma and the linebackers. It's super inconsistent because I I would argue that. Linebacker-wise, they have some talent on that team. I mean, I mentioned Cam Arnold. You mentioned Bryce Steele. Like, they have some talent in the Who? linebacker group. It's just – I'm sorry? The issue with Bryce Steele is I like – he's a talented – I like him coming to high school. He put yeah. way too much weight on too fast. They put way too much right. weight on him too fast, and it's just really slowed him down laterally. And that's right. the thing that I think has hurt him. But, yes, they're not they're not terrible players at, at linebacker. They're there's, really there's not. Some ta- there's some talent, but it's just the fits are super inconsistent. I mean, there was one play early on in that game, Brian. I forget if it was the first or the second drive, but they ran just like a little, I think it was inside zone, but it just bounced because the defensive end just completely got washed down, bounces outside, and like, okay, man, you attacked the mesh, but then there was nobody at home working in the alley, and you're just like, somebody was fitting wrong in that play, right? Whether it was the defensive end taking the wrong assignment there or if there was a nickel or safety that just did not fill the alley correctly but it's just there's compl- there's a complimentary feel on the defensive side of the football for how to fit properly right like if you're not in the right spot then that leaves somebody else out to dry I feel like in that game I mean I was just maddeningly just like kind of hitting my head like 
where's like, why is he fitting that gap? Why is that guy chasing that play down and leaving the backside exposed? There's just, it's just maddeningly inconsistent from a fit perspective on this defense right now. So when you look at Boston College defensively, the numbers are better than offense, but not a lot. And, you know, their their pass defense has been good total yards wise. But if you that's misleading, because if you look at the other particulars of their pass defense, it's it's not good. I mean, what they've been able to do is a couple of times, Ryan, they've kind of been able to benefit by playing teams that aren't very good, if we're going to be honest with you, or teams that aren't running the football very well. Or in some instances, teams ran the ball effectively on them and didn't need to throw. But, uh, you know, their, their pass defense is okay. When they've played good passing teams, they've gotten ripped up pretty good. Jordan, uh, Jordan Travis threw for 350 on them. Uh, Wake Forest threw for 313 on them. You know, so they, they haven't played a lot of good passing teams. Clemson threw for 220 on them. And, you know, Clemson and three touchdowns, that's not a very good pass attack. So when you look at it, I mean, two, Maine threw for 289. But Virginia Tech can't throw the ball. Rutgers can't throw the ball. UConn doesn't throw the ball. They did a nice job against Duke. That's the one game where I'll say I thought their pass defense played well. It was against Riley Leonard and Duke. And, and and you know, but they still gave up points and those type of things. So it, it's just a team that that we could spend all day talking about how bad they are, Ryan. But it's just, it's just not a very good football team. And so when you're Notre Dame, here's the dilemma. You look at it from a coaching standpoint. You, your players are going to look that they beat NC State. They're going to look that they beat Louisville. They're going to look at the high-ranked kids, but then these kids are going to watch the film and they're going to like, yeah, they're not very good. So you right. got to figure out a way as a coaching staff to keep them focused and locked in on the process of what you're trying to accomplish going into this game because it's going to be hard to motivate them. It's going to be easy to motivate motivate them early in the week. It's going to be hard to motivate harder to motivate them as during the week as they do more and more film prep. And and then you hope that it's easy to motivate them on Saturday because you've got game, you know, it's the last home game of the year, it's senior day, let's go out, let's play our, our butts off and send these kids out winners. And the one optimistic thing I have is Marcus Freeman had a very let's win one for the veterans attitude going into Oklahoma State. And mm-hmm. that team came out of the gate on fire against Oklahoma State. And oh, and BC's not a team that's going to come back on Notre Dame the way Oklahoma State did. They're just not. <laughs> or Navy did because they're not a triple option team. So we've seen him play the whole let's win one for the Gipper type of thing before when you look at the veterans and his team came out, played hard. Can he recreate that magic or was that sort of a one-time thing for a, a, a coach taking over and the kids were excited about it? We're going to find out. We're going to find out on Saturday. And we'll break down the particular of the matchups. We'll do tomorrow. We'll, we'll look at the statistical matchup more in depth. We'll talk about some of the individual matchups. We'll talk more about the areas where BC is dangerous. You know, we started to kind of dive into just to give you a little taste today. We look at the receiving core, especially, and uh, and and kind of look at where they are. We'll do keys to victory on Thursday. So uh, Ryan will not be here tomorrow, but Ryan will be here on Thursday. So we'll do some we'll do some of that conversation tomorrow. And then, of course, Friday we'll have predictions. We have multiple shows today. We have obviously an IB Nation Sports Talk show at six o'clock. I believe it's going to be uh, Jesse and Sean tonight. And then at 9.30 tonight, okay, the college football playoff rankings is later tonight. So it's the, it's at 9 o'clock, and it could start a little bit later because, you know, they always do like basketball games till 9 o'clock, and then the game runs over, and they call a million timeouts in the last 30 seconds of the game. And so the last minute of the game lasts as long as the first 19 minutes of the second half. So be prepared for that. But we'll go live around 9.30 and, and discuss the ranks. Well, actually, we will go live at 9.30. 
And what we'll do is, is if they just started the rankings, we'll kind of talk about where Notre Dame is and then just discuss them as the rankings come out. We'll discuss the rest of the rankings as they come out. So we'll have that tonight at 930 as well. And uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. So we've got a lot planned for this week, Ryan. That's going to do it for this portion of the show. We're going to have a mailbag coming up next, so don't go anywhere. But before we jump into the mailbag, everybody, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. And I'm not going to lie to you, Ryan, I got a confession to make. During the show, I made a purchase uh, of Built Bars during the show. I'm not going to lie to you. Nice. Because uh, nice. for those who like Built Bar, I went on last week. They were not there. I went back this week. Cookie dough is back, and the brownie batter puffs are back. So uh, I just made a – my bank account just got depleted a little bit because I just did my my Christmas, my winter order of the Built Bars. So you'll definitely check those out. But here's the cool thing. I entered in promo code Irish Breakdown, all one word, and lo and behold, I got 10% off my entire purchase. Imagine that, Ryan. So that made the uh, hit to my account a little less – a little less damaging. So I know you like Bill Bars, but as soon as I saw Cookie Dough was back, I was like, okay, this is happening. Sorry. Uh, it, it, we we got to do this. We got to do this. So definitely check out Bill Bar. And again, if you there's a link below in the description bar if you're listening via YouTube. And if you are not and you go to Bill, if you go to Bill Bar's website, you do your order. When you check out, it'll say apply promo here. Type in Irish Breakdown, one word, all caps, and you will get 10% off your entire purchase. So that is what we're gonna that's what we're gonna end on today, Ryan, as we before we dive in the mailbag. But thank you all for joining us on this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.